or through the wrap provider. And not every wrap provider does it. So we basically hit a button saying we want to do this and basically that change gets replicated across anyone who has that managed account. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 191 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. The end of 2019 is actually closer than it feels. Our last episode this year, episode 213, will go live on the 18th of December. And so that is another 23 episodes to come. In 10 of those 23 episodes, we will cover technical topics from GST on imports and downsizer contributions over SMSF depreciation and SMSF strategies to asset protection and the taxable payments reporting system. But apart from those 10 episodes, I really want to go back to practice management, looking at how to manage your practices, how to generate revenue, how to structure your teams, how to buy a fee parcel, how to find and retain good staff, pricing, marketing, SEO, you name it, looking deep into how you and I can grow our practices. So that is what is coming your way for the rest of the year. But today and tomorrow, we will go back to wrap and managed accounts and managed funds. Yes, I know, Liam Short already touched on this in episode 186, but today and tomorrow, we will revise and revisit. Just as with episode 186, if you are already a guru of financial investments and selling short and long and trading up and down, then please skip this episode in the next, since we really go back to basics. So today we will look at wrap and managed accounts. What is the difference between the two? Daniel Mikkel of Partners Wells Group in Sydney kindly agreed to give you an answer. <laughs> Investing is incredibly confusing and there are so many options. If you try to really simplify it, yep. it basically comes down to just certain asset classes. You can buy shares or units, either listed or unlisted. You can buy real property, either residential or commercial. You can buy debt instruments, either listed or unlisted. You can buy commodities, either listed or unlisted. Foreign currency, probably also either listed or unlisted. Then other assets, of course, all unlisted. Mm -hmm. And then you can basically place a bet on the price, interest, or rate of any of these asset classes. In the end, it all comes down to that, doesn't it? Did I miss something else? Um, yeah. Broadly, there's two, three, four, five asset classes. Okay. Tell uh, me which ones because okay. I, so, I so came up got, with seven. So we got within those five asset classes, and I've mentioned those, there are breakdowns of, well, there's probably subcategories of those. So cash is the obvious one. Cash is Pretty straightforward. Good point. I forgot okay. that one. A lot of people sitting on cash not earning much at the moment. So within the cash umbrella, you've got term deposits. Pretty much the same thing. Would government bonds count no. as cash? No. No. Okay. So that, that's the next category, which is fixed interest. Okay. So within the fixed interest world, you, you know, you can take varying degrees of risk. At the lower end, you've got government bonds. Relatively secure. Uh, depending on which government you're lending your money to. Maybe more if it's Greece. and Correct. So maybe if, it, if it's to the Australian government, the US governments, 
relatively secure. Therefore, the risk of capital loss is very low and therefore you are compensated with a lower return. Okay. Then you start to step up to corporate debt so or corporate bonds and that's basically where an investor is in effect lending the money to that corporation. Again, different corporations will have different levels of credit risk. So obviously if you're lending your money to Westpac, NAB, ANZ or CBA, the credit risk associated with those entities is relatively low compared to, let's say, Afterpay is probably an example that comes to mind. Relatively new to the market, yes, they're going okay, but again, not as secure as the big four banks. So again, depending on who you're lending your money to will dictate what return you get on that investment. So, so far we have three, cash, fixed interest and corporate debt. So corporate debt's within the fixed interest element. So it's Mm -hmm. a subcategory of the fixed interest asset class. So as I said, fixed interest can be broken down to two components, corporate debt, government debt. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so that's on the defensive side of one's portfolio. Okay. And then you start to get into the growth side of the portfolio and the three main asset classes there are Australian shares. Or uh, just shares. Shares shares in general. So so shares shares can be international or they can be domestic. And then you've also got property. Again, property can either be, um, you know, tangible property, commercial or residential, or you've got listed property. So listed property, an example of listed property would be, you know, uh, what we call an A-REIT, which is basically a listed managed fund, if you like, that buys, um, you know, commercial property. So an example would be the old Westfield or Stockland. Mm. So they own, they own shopping centres and you get obviously get the rental yield yes. and the capital growth. But that's basically already at the next level. At the moment, we just look at the assets themselves and there it doesn't matter yet how you buy them, whether you buy them through a listed vehicle yeah, or, or so not. Yeah, so there's always going to be an underlying property behind an yes. A-REIT. So as I said, you can go direct and buy the investment yourself or you can go through yeah. a listed structure Yes, and if you the, don't have the capital to, to invest directly, yeah. exactly, and the same also applies to shares. Correct, you yeah. Could, uh, go so directly or, or listed or unlisted. So we come to the listed or unlisted later. So that means so far we have four categories. We have on the defensive side we have cash and fixed interest, mm-hmm. and now on the um, the growth side, correct? Yeah, yeah. And then on the growth side you have shares, and you only mentioned shares, but you also include units, don't you, for unit trust? So shares can be purchased directly through a broker, through an online broker or face-to-face broker. The same applies to units. Yes. Yeah, so, so like Sydney we, Airport? Yep, yep, yep. You stable can buy units. Security. That's right. Stable securities are units or you can buy them through a managed fund. Yes. Yep. Again, you're buying units in that managed funds, or that managed fund and they're, and they're using that capital yes. to then buy shares. Yes, yes. Yep. Okay. And then the other category on the growth side is property. So if you have one more. No, that's it. Oh, really? Shares and property. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't you say there were five categories? So shares is broken down into international and oh, I see. Australian. I see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if yeah. we don't break it down, then it's it four. Should, then Correct. it's four. Okay, four main asset classes. Yeah. We, we tend to class international and Australian as two separate asset classes. Yes. But if we did that, then we could also break property into international True. and national. We could Correct. break fixed interest into international and That's national. right. That's right. So broadly, yeah, you're right. Four asset classes, again, and the subcategories around all each of those. Yes. What about 
commodities. Shouldn't they be another yeah, category? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that would be an asset class, not something that we delve into per se. But yeah, commodities would be a different asset class in itself. So would currency if people are interested in investing in currency. So yes, that would be a separate asset class in itself. And then there would be another asset class and that is basically anything else. So for example, when you buy a sole trader business or when you buy machine or equipment, you know, any other asset basically. Yeah, yeah that would, yeah. You usually don't buy these things through a financial advisor. No. But at the no. moment, just looking at basically putting everything on the table. Mm -hmm. So then we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven asset classes. Yeah. We have cash and fixed interest on the defensive side. Yep. And then we have shares, property, commodity, currency, and then anything, anything else, else on the growth side. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So these are basically our building blocks yep. that we can put money into. Correct. And so now we come to the next step in how do we do that? The easy to understand way is to just do it directly. Yeah, so direct, buying directly, you own the underlying shares or units in what you're purchasing. So for cash, you put the cash into a bank account. Yep. For fixed interest, you put it into a term deposit or you buy government or corporate debt through a trading platform. Well, you can buy, yeah, you can buy bonds directly or you can buy them through a managed fund. Yes, we come to that one yep. next. Yep. So we first just have this direct. Yep. Then you can buy shares through directly. a trading yep. platform yep. property. Of course, you just go to the auction. Commodities and currency. I'm sure there are some trading platforms where you can Definitely. buy them through. You yes. know, it might be that not everybody does commodities and currencies, but... Yeah, there's definitely sure a platform for it. Again, not something that we're experts in, yeah. but there is definitely a platform for those two uh, asset classes, yes. Yeah. And then other assets is you go and buy Correct. a plumbing yeah. business or a machine yep. or something. Good. So that is the direct investment, and that's still very easy to understand because mm -hmm. we basically just go and put the money on the table. But now it gets complicated because now we get mm. to the indirect That's right. Investments. And so now I have to hand over to you because I know very little about it. Okay. So obviously with the indirect cash is self-explanatory. There's no really indirect investment with cash. But with fixed interest space, so obviously direct is buying the bonds directly and there are avenues where you can buy bonds directly. Actually, can I interrupt mm. you there with cash and mm -hmm. then you always hold it directly. When you go to these other options now that we're going to talk about, like managed funds and managed accounts, etc., I do think they always have a clearing account. You know, when they buy and sell, it always goes back into this clearing account. So you usually have some cash in this clearing account with a managed fund or with a managed account. Yeah, that's temporary. And then depending on what sort of managed fund you're investing in, they might have a mandate to um, where they can keep some funds in cash and not be fully invested. So as an example, just to digress a little bit, Magellan is a reputable managed fund in the international space. Last I checked, they were holding 20 to, I think, to 30% in cash because they felt that the markets were a little bit overvalued and didn't see the need to be fully invested at that point in time. So some active managers have the ability to hold cash reserves where they see the need for it. And when they do, do they usually pay interest? Oh, it'd be negligible. Negligible. It, it, I mean, it'd be reflected in the total return anyway, but where they're getting their most of their total return is in, in the active selection of their stocks. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So they don't make much money by... Not on interest, no. ...paying less interest on the clearing account than the interest they would get... If they had it in their normal account. Yeah. I mean, the money they hold in the clearing account, 
they really have it somewhere with the bank. They would earn interest on that money. Potentially. They hold yeah. on behalf of the client. Yes. But whether they then pass the entire interest income onto the client is another is another is a, question. Is a question. But yeah. whether they do or not, it would be a small margin. They probably That's make right. a lot more money by trading. trading. Correct. And look, we, with someone like a like an index fund, Vanguard's an example, they would be more or less fully invested across the board. So it'd be very little in cash. Yeah, there'd be enough just enough liquidity to be able to pay out people who are looking to exit the fund. And when you say Vanguard as mm-hmm. an indexed fund, mm-hmm. is that an ETF? It can be an ETF. So an exchange-traded fund. Yeah, and it can be wholesale, it can be retail. So there's three ways you can purchase their managed funds. One, you said, directly on the ASX via an ETF. Oh, I see. So an ETF is basically always when you buy it directly. On the ASX, yep. So wholesale is purchasing it through like a wrap. Uh, You're effectively purchasing exactly the same thing as what the ETF is, just through wrap. So the wholesale is through a wrap and then retail is through a managed fund, isn't it? Well, retail is buying directly into the managed fund via the fund manager. So I could log on to Vanguard's website and say, look, I want to invest X amount with Vanguard. You fill out an application form, you send them the check, and off you go. So there's there's no tax reporting or anything like that on there. So, yeah. Why would anybody do a wrap account? Because with a wrap account, you basically buy directly anyway, but you pay a much higher fee than if you just buy directly. So so with a wrap account, um, generally speaking, the fees are a little bit lower from an investment management point of view. Lower than a managed fund. So so if I were to buy Vanguard, as an example, via a wrap versus retail, there is a bit of a difference in the cost, okay? Even though you're purchasing, in effect, the same fund. It's because it's wholesale. The, the beauty about being on a wrap is you get the, all, the, all the reporting. So performance reporting, uh, tax reporting. You get to, you know, look at what the cash flow of your particular portfolio is doing, so you'd be able to drill down a little in a lot more detail than you, if you would if you just invested directly in a Vanguard fund. Okay. okay. So if all Vanguard are going to do is just give you an annual report at the end of the year. This is what you've got. You know, this is what you're invested in. Here's what it's worth. And that's it. I see. So the main difference between buying directly on the ASX and buying through a wrap slash wholesale is that when you buy directly on the ASX, you basically need to work out yourself exactly what your tax implications are for each investment that's right whereas when you buy through a wrap slash wholesale you get a nice tax statement at the end of the year that gives you everything because all the the distribution and all the capital gains tax information goes back to the wrap provider they summarize it all they collate all that information and all you do is generate a report on the on the wrap provider and that shows you all that information i see and is that the main reason why people Go through a wrap. Yeah, that's the main reason why we do it is a reporting. Because otherwise, how do you have meaningful conversations with your clients at review time? You know, otherwise you'd have to spend so much time collecting all the dividend distributions. You know, you'd have to run some sort of spreadsheet, and it's just inefficient. And you'd end up having to charge your client a lot more. So we find that small cost to pay saves a lot of time for everybody and provides the relevant reporting we need to be able to have meaningful conversations around how the portfolio is performed. How is the wrap 
price. Is it a percentage of it's, invested assets? Yes, yes. Typically, it's a percentage. Every wrap provider is different. But can you give me a ball mark? Is it um, 0.1 to 0.2 percent, or is it five to 10 percent? You know. Oh yeah, no, no, no. So it would be anywhere. It'd be under one percent. Put it that way for most wrap providers. Yep, under one percent. Well, the ones that we use anyway. Instead of doing a wrap, you could go to a managed fund or a managed account. Yeah. What is the difference between a managed fund and a managed account? Well, a managed fund is ultimately something that you invest in. So you, so you pick a fund manager that you feel is going to invest your money in line with mm. what you're wanting to invest in and they basically take your money and, and invest it. A, a mean, managed account is – so we run, it, we run managed accounts. Okay, So managed accounts is basically – where you pull your money into an account and typically that's held on a wrap account, right? And basically that gives the manager of that account the mandate to invest that capital on behalf of the client. I see. So, for example, in your case, if you run a managed account, the client would give you a million dollars and you would assess the risk profile of this client, etc. But then you would go out and put this much into managed funds, this much into rep accounts, this much into term deposit, and then... Yeah, so we decide the investment selection within those managed accounts, okay? And then if we want to, let's say, exit out of BHP and move into Rio Tinto, okay? What the managed accounts allows us to, anyone who's in those managed accounts that change will effectively be replicated across anyone who's in those invested in those managed accounts. Okay. So the managed account is not just for one client. No, it can be across several clients, right? So we might have the Partners Wealth Group balanced managed account, anyone who's within invested in that same account. So if we're making a change, exit out of investment X and getting into investment Y, that would be replicated across all investors who are in that particular investment option. Okay, so let's say your managed account has three million in it with two people. Yep. Sally has two million in it and Peter has one million in it. So then they don't actually buy anything. It's not like in a managed fund where you buy units or so of that managed fund. No. In a managed account, they basically just give you the cash and then you do whatever you need to do with that money. At the end, let's say you have a 10% return and then Sally would get two-thirds of this return because she invested two-thirds. She invested two million of three million and Peter would only get one-third of that return because he only invested one million of the three million that are in there in total. In dollar terms, yes. 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 So is that how you track it? You just look well, at how much everybody they're, they're, invested? They're, they're, each, they're individual accounts, okay? So it's not one pool, Okay. right? So, you know, you would have your own account in your own name and if you had a million dollars, a million dollars would be divided up in percentage terms across all the investments within that option. Okay, so you basically have sub-accounts. So Sally has a sub-account that has the two million. Peter has a sub-account that has one million. And these sub-accounts would feed into the Partners Wealth Group Managed Account. Yep. And then you do what you need to do with the investment. Yep. And then whatever happens is then broken back down into the relevant sub-accounts. That's right. Now, let's say... In this managed account, let's say you bought 100 NAP shares, mm -hmm. would those 100 NAP shares then be 
allocated to Sally, mm. or would they stay in the managed account mm. and Sally would just receive something in dollar terms? No, so what it is, it's all percentage-based, right? So obviously full portfolio is 100%. And let's say BHP makes up 5% of the portfolio and we're looking to do a full exit of BHP of that 5% and, and put the equivalent amount into Rio Tinto, okay? So what will happen is anyone who's invested in that managed account, depending on how many, so there'll be a full exit of those shares within their accounts and then repurchase according to, relative to the value that they've got within their individual account, okay? So... You know, 5% of a million dollars would be, what's that, 50 grand? Is that right? Yeah, 50 grand. So if they would have held 50 grand in the million dollar example here, whereas in the $2 million example it would be 100. Okay, so it's all relative to how much money you've got in your respective account and that would be, you know. So at the end of the year, would Sally and Peter receive a detailed list of everything that is in this managed yes. account yes i see so they would get a they would get a report that covers the managed account in total yes and then it would break it down and say this is your share of everything that correct happened. yeah mm. you see all the underlying holdings that you've got that make up your total portfolio as i said we adjust our portfolios on a percentage basis and then those allocations then get replicated within the individual portfolios what software do you use to it's all through wrap all through the wrap provider and not every wrap provider does it. So we basically hit a button saying we want to do this and basically that change gets replicated across anyone who has that managed account. I see. So the wrap provider basically lets you into the software and then in the software you say we would like to run a managed account. Correct. We yeah. have all these sub-accounts and then the wrap provider runs it all for you. That's and right. That's right. And you basically just then tell the rep provider what the managed account should do? Yeah, pretty much. We control the, the levers in terms of what we want to do with the investment selection. And then basically it's up to the rep provider to be able to replicate those changes across anyone who's invested in that in that managed account. Yes. So obviously if you're sitting outside the managed account, so let's say as an example, someone who's in the managed account has BHP, you got another client who has BHP but sitting outside of the managed account. If we decide to exit out of BHP, the person who's in the managed account that will exit. Will, will exit, but the but, other one won't. Correct, because mm. they're not in the managed account. Yes. Yeah. But that makes sense. When when you first spoke about it, I thought the clients put an enormous amount of trust into your software. You know that might sit on your desktop or might you know, sit no, it's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, yes. none of that. Well, we control the investment decisions. The implementation is. Con- Ultimately yes. through Macquarie. The soft, I see. So you use we Macquarie, use Macquarie as, yeah, as the platform. Provider. Yeah. What other rep platforms? Um, that do these managed accounts that I'm aware of. Hub24 is another one. I've never heard of Hub24. And Not that that means anything. Yeah, and NetWealth <laughs> is another one that comes to mind. Oh, I see. But Macquarie is therefore the best known rep provider. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I would say it's number one in my view. We used to use AMP North and we're slowly moving away from AMP North because they don't have the solution that we need, i.e. the managed account solution. So they they couldn't provide that sort of solution through their wrap. So it's kind of forced us to go back out to market and source a different wrap provider who are able to deliver the the managed account solution. 
Mm. Yeah. And so this managed account mm -hmm. is different to the wrap we discussed before, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it sits within. So it's an investment option that's available through the wrap. So when we when when we go log on to Macquarie, we've literally got access to hundreds of investment options. One of those is the managed accounts. Yes. Another one is basically that a wrap account is set up just for you, and then. Either you or the client decides to buy 24 NAP shares and 30 yeah. ANZ shares, yeah. etc. Yeah, you, so you, that... you can, if a client doesn't prefer, because with the managed account, the client doesn't really have a say in the investment decisions because we basically make the decisions and we implement them effective immediately. The alternative approach is to have everything outside of the managed account. We pick stocks and what have you. And then every time we want to make a change to that portfolio, It's a compliance requirement that we have to write to the client and say, look, this is what we want to do. We need to get sign-off from the client to say, yep, you know, they're, they're comfortable to agree to the change and then we get that back and then and only then can we implement that change. I see. So the wrap account is a lot more expensive to update than the managed account because the managed account you can buy and sell as well, you We can do it more fit. efficiently yes. through the managed account Because also the managed account covers a lot more clients, whereas the individual rep account is just for that one client. Hence, it's a lot more labor intensive for you. Correct. Because it's just the one rep account for that one client. That's right. And you need to write and get consent every yeah. time so, you want so, to change so, it. Yeah, there's a lot more time and a lot more compliance from our perspective. So your fees would be higher for the yeah. individual rep account yep. than for the managed account. Absolutely, because there's more time involved. Yeah. Because yeah. mm -hmm. every time we want to keep up with the change, we've got to prepare a record of advice, send it out, we've got to wait. And by the time that process happens, can be two, three, four weeks. And by that stage, the opportunity, we may have missed the opportunity. Yes. So typically we want to move quickly if there's an opportunity, you know, markets have been oversold or, you know, uh, all markets are getting out of control and we want to, you know, yeah. take some money off the table and, and park some money in cash. So those sort of changes, we need to move relatively quickly and having that two, three, four-week turnaround It's just far too slow if markets are moving fairly quickly. Yes. Yeah. So you would have most of your clients in managed accounts? We're transitioning. We traditionally, um, so I think we came up with the managed account solution, you know, I think roughly 18 months ago now. So we're in the process of transitioning people into the managed accounts or clients into those managed accounts um, because we think it's, it's going to deliver a far better solution to our clients, much more efficient for both ends. And ultimately they don't miss out on, you know, opportunities if they come to hand. Mm. And so you would have several managed accounts. You would have a high-risk managed account. You would have a very low-risk managed account, etc. Then you would assess the clients once, say, okay, what is your risk profile? Yeah. And then according to that, they would go into this managed Correct. account or that managed That's account. Right. But once you have done that, once they are allocated to specific managed account, then you have free reign and you can do as you see best. Whereas with the individual rep account, you constantly need to get approval again. Yeah, you've always got to, every time you want to make a change, no matter how small it is, you've always got to write to the client. The client has to consent in writing and then and only then can we implement that change. Yes. Yeah. So that means the fee of less than 1% we mentioned before for the rep account, that is just the fee that the provider charges for this individual rep account. Correct. But then on top of that, of course, would be your fees because there's a lot of time involved yeah. in managing yeah. this rep That's account. Right. That's right. And what would, not necessarily your fees, but what are the common fee range in the industry for an individual 
wrap account and then what is a common fee range for a managed account so um for the fee to you know i guess manage a, a wrap account it really does vary it really does vary i mean you can the average is probably around one percent of funds under management and then the and that's in addition to the fee that the platform charges correct, correct? Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so again that one percent it can vary some people charge less than that some people charge more than that some people operate on a fixed dollar fee and then there's some people again charge to manage the managed account um, some people do it for nothing and it's part of the the overall cost of managing the wrap account as such what we do or, or what i do is i charge uh, a flat dollar fee just to manage the overall strategy for a client regardless of how much money is invested and then as the business to, to manage the tactical decisions and manage the the managed account and then there's a percentage based cost on that okay so we're separating out the advice component and there's a similar to how an accountant would charge on an hours based and there's a flat dollar fee to manage that component and then a percentage based cost to manage the investment side of things i see and what is the percentage based cost that we charge mm-hmm. uh 0.3 plus gst well that's well under one percent yeah 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 and i don't want to hold you down to a specific price but can you just give me a feel for what the fixed fee is for the advice component it really does depend on how many reviews the client requires the complexity of the client situation um, what areas of advice we're reviewing on an annual basis so it really does vary but to give you you know a range it can be from as low as 2200 a year to as high as you know 30 grand a year it really just depends on the complexity of the client. And the number of reviews means how often the client wants to sit down with yes. you and yeah. go every, through yeah. everything. So, so that's priced in. And the clients have always got access to us throughout the year. So they don't have to wait till review time to get access to me. So we obviously build that into our cost. And you know if they need any assistance with anything along the way or they need to talk to their account or whatever the matter is, um, that's built into our cost. So it's a, it's a fixed dollar fee and obviously we review that every year. But, yeah, it covers all those, those sort of things. And would you need a review every year or could you say we meet once and we meet again in five years? No, we would suggest at least reviewing every year I because see. we set up a long-term plan for the client. So at every review we're looking at what, what changes have there been to their circumstances, you know, do we need to make any adjustments to the overall strategy? So we look at things like their insurances if that needs to be amended. You know, we're looking at their income needs. If they're in retirement phase, does that need to be changed? Do they need a one-off lump sum? If so, where's that going to come from? All those discussions happen in our review meetings because often whether the change is small or it's large, it might have an impact on the overall strategy. We're also reviewing the risk profile just to make sure that they're still Mm -hmm. comfortable in maintaining the level of risk that they said it that they took on at the outset. Mm. But most clients would only do one review a year, correct? Look, I would say of my client base, I would say it's probably, you know, 65% annual, the rest biannual, and I've got two on quarterly. Quarterly ones probably have very large portfolios, yes. hence they really want to correct. check in yeah. every three correct. months. Correct, correct. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah, so it's all on, the, on a needs basis. Welcome back. So today was about wrap and managed accounts. Tomorrow, 
Danny Mikkel will talk about managed funds. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>